0: Uh, We are concluding our series on Christians with addictions. We're concluding it today. Today's the final one. And I'll show you all the sermons. They start with the letter R. Um, When I tell you the title of of part 13 today, our final conclusion, chapter 13, when I tell you the title, you need to understand it's based on after you do everything up here. Everybody say after. after. After you've done all you know to do. After you have done the praying after you've done the believing, after you've obeyed, after you've stepped down in faith, because faith without works is dead, after you've done everything, if the healing has not yet come, if the promise has not yet been fulfilled, if the dream has not yet been delivered, after you've done all you know to do, today in part 13, I want to talk to you about relinquish control. Relinquish control in life. Frustration occurs when we try to control things we were never meant to control. Amen. Um, it, we can't control what people say about us behind our back. We can't control how people think about us. But we can control who we allow in our inner circle. You can't control your spouse, but you can control who you're going to marry. You can't control the timetable of your dreams coming to pass, but you can't control what you pray and ask God for. You can't control the time that Jesus heals you, but you can control if you're doing what the Bible says to be healed. Let the elders pray for you. Take medicine. Use wisdom. Whether God does it through Tylenol, surgery, supernaturally, whether he does it today, tomorrow, the next day, the timetable of healing is up to God. And even if he does heal this physical, emotional, whatever ailment you have, you do realize your body is still dying. He might heal you of COVID, but your body is dying. Ultimate healing is seeing Jesus face to face. Um, It's easy to go around trying to control and manipulate the things in our life so that it happens our way. But all that does is cause a lack of peace. Uh, When things don't go our way, we get into what I call Burger King mode. That's when we want it our way right away. I heard a preacher say, and I'm curious what you think, but I heard a preacher say, uh, there's only one thing we can control 100% of the time, and that is ourselves. Do you believe that? That's actually unbiblical. Do you know you can't control yourself? Do you know where self control comes from? It's a fruit of the Spirit. You can't even control you without God. Do you know how you get self control? By giving Him control. <laughs> You can't even control you. Job 25.2 says, God is in control and everything in the cosmos works and fits into his plan. The sickness is not in control. The enemy is not in control. The economy is not in control. The president, well, we know that. Okay, so... (laughs) God is in control. Proverbs, I'm joking. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust God. This is the key. With all your heart and don't lean under your own. Well, I don't understand why it's not happening. Give that to God and trust him. I don't understand why this door didn't open. Give it to God and trust him. I don't understand. You're not supposed to lean on your own understanding. You're supposed to trust God with all your heart. So here's what I want you to think about for the next 30 minutes. How do we build trust with God? How do we build trust in God so that we're not always worried and frantic and not sleeping? How do we build trust in God? And here's how you do it, and you might want to write this down, is you learn the character of God. The more you know the character of God, the more you can trust him in areas. Basically, I'm saying this, the things that people are good at are the things we give control over to. Um, I'm really good at financial counseling, so when people come to me for financial help, I show them all of my bank statements that I kept from 10 years ago, 8 years ago, 5 years ago, 15 years ago, and it shows the most I ever made in a week was $1,000, and I had a family of seven, five kids at home at this time. $1,000 a week is the most I ever made. They'll see the incoming, they'll see the outgoing. The first outgoing is the tithe, $100, so now i got $900 left. And when they see that we didn't have Netflix, we didn't have cable TV, uh, we didn't pay for you know, soft drinks, we'd drink tap water, whatever we could, to, we didn't go on vacations, they see that I'm good at that, they relinquish control of their finances to me and they say, okay, tell me what I need to do. And they trust me in that area. Don't ever relinquish control to me of your teenagers when it comes time to teach them how to drive. <laughs> I'm not good at that. They will not have a good driving record if you let me teach your teenagers how to drive. I'm not good at that. We trust. Listen, I'm a southerner, but I drive like a northerner. Um, I like how northerners drive. Listen, they can get from point A to point B before, I mean, they know when to turn, even if it's red. Okay, anyway, that's a whole other sermon. Okay, so. If I'm going to trust my heart to somebody and submit my life to them, they better be good at loving me. They better say good things about me behind my back. They better come to me when there's a problem, and I will relinquish control. Every area of ministry that I give control to someone, it's not because I like them. It's because they're good at it. If they're good at overseeing this area, I trust them. If they're good at Sunday school, I trust them with it. I give control. Now, Here's what I'm trying to teach you. God is good at everything. And let me say it in a a really bad, you know, improper English southern way, God is gooder than you at making your dreams come to pass. God is gooder than you are at fulfilling His promises. God is gooder than you are at everything and we just have to learn how to trust Him in those areas. Now, before I get into my three points, I I didn't know if there's any controllers in the room. Does anybody here just love to be in control? I knew you wouldn't raise your hand. Is anybody married to somebody that loves to be in control? Okay. So just in case you don't know if you're a controller. Is anybody going to need a ride home after church because of that? (laughs) Just in case you didn't know if you're a controller or not. Remember Jeff Foxworthy's You Might Be a Redneck If? Okay, let me give you a few quickers. You might be a controller if you give advice to people through prayer. It's a very manipulative way to spiritually control people. You had somebody pray for you, Lord, give them wisdom to read that book that I told them to read a month ago. Lord, if you'll just teach them how to spend money the way I've been telling them to spend it, everything will change in their life. And you need people to have a word of the Lord for you. And a lot of times the word uh, is something that makes them look better or feel better about themselves. It says in Ezekiel uh, 13, 6, you better not say God said unless he said it. Better not say that. Okay, Uh, you might be a controller if uh, you think you know what's best for others outside of just receiving Jesus as Lord. Once they've received Jesus as Lord, Uh, We respect their relationship they have with God to the point where we let God deal with them. And if God has a word for you, we pray about it first and all that. But you know, God has a thousand ways to reach somebody without little Holy Spirit juniors running around trying to reach them for God. He has creation, he has circumstances, he has the right people in their life. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says just mind your own business. Sometimes you just got, you can't control people, just mind your own business. Uh, You might be a controller if you enjoy running the lives of your grown children. It got really quiet now. That got just, whoo, the whole mood of the room just went whoop. Just a, I know none of y'all admit it, but if your grown children were here, they might have something to say. Well, you know, when I raised you, I did this and this with you. You need to start doing this and this with your children. Y- yep. O- okay, uh, okay. Uh, Proverbs 3.13 says that sometimes people need to get wisdom from experiencing life. Let them, you know how you learned 90% of the stuff you learned from experiencing life? All that does is hurt the relationship when you try to run somebody else's life. You might be a controller if you give the silent treatment, guilt trips, threats, or throw emotional fits to get what you want. Does anybody have a teenager? Anybody? Okay, okay, right. I have a friend. He uh, this is several years ago. He loved to play. He loved to play baseball. Twice a week, he'd go play baseball, and he'd leave. His, you know, tell his wife, "Bye, honey," and their little baby go on, play baseball. Every time he'd go out the house, he said, "My wife would say things like." Uh, Well, you know we need groceries. You know I'm going to play baseball. Well, don't you want to give your daughter a kiss before she goes to bed? Don't you want to tuck her in bed tonight? Well, honey, I, I love going to play baseball. Every time he said it was so bad, the whole atmosphere of the home would change as soon as he went to go play baseball. She would throw these emotional fits. She wouldn't say, please stay home, or, you know, I'd love to have more time with you. It was always some type of manipulation to the point where he just stopped playing baseball. I said, dude, why aren't you out there playing with us? He said, man, I'd I'd rather not even deal with her than to go have fun. That's an emotional controller. Uh, You might be be a control freak if uh, you show disapproval to the people who don't receive your wisdom. You give them wisdom and, and instead they either want to do what they think God wants or they do what somebody else told them to do. And you show that slightest bit of, I see a lot of people, y'all just keep taking pictures of these points with your phone, don't you? I, that's so cool. Don't put my picture in it. Just show the thing up there. I don't want me on Facebook. And so, um, and you just kind of show a little bit of disapproval. Well, you know, it's just like you, 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 they, stop, they stop affirming you as much because you didn't do what they wanted you to do. Galatians 1:10 says we seek the approval of God, not men. And last but not least, you might be a controller if you're already offended within the first few minutes of this sermon. <laughs> you know who you are. You know who you are. Okay, so I have three points. If you're ready, say, oh yeah. "Oh yeah." Number one, trust God's will. I'm gonna go ahead and give you all three points: His will, His ways, and His word. Will's ways and word. What God wants for you, what he wills for you, is better than what you want for yourself. And we have to get to the point where we believe that so we can give him control of what we want in life. Jeremiah 20 and 11 says this, the plans that I have, now we all have plans of our own. The plans that I have, the Lord says, is to bring you prosperity, peace, and the future that you hope for. Uh, Psalms 37 4 says when you delight yourself in him he'll put desires or wills or wants inside of your heart And if he gives you desires from him, he always brings them to pass God gave Abraham the desire to have a son with his wife Sarah uh, he, he didn't care about being rich famous. He just wanted a boy. He wanted a son. He wanted grandchildren He wanted great-grandchildren and so finally after 20 years The dream comes to pass. Isaac is born. Abraham is happier than ever. And God steps in in Genesis 22-2 and says, Abraham, take your only son Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice to me. In other words, relinquish control to me of what you want. But God, I want this more than anything. What do you want more? What I want for you or what you want for yourself? Abraham did it. He was obedient. He put the altar there, laid his son on the altar. Sometimes God asks us to give up what we want in order to show him that we trust what he wants for our life more. So he'll tell you to lay it on the altar. Tell you to give it to me. Stop worrying. Stop being frustrated. Stop living with it. Just give it to me and let me handle it. So the knife is up in the air. It's about to go down. And in verse 12, God stepped in and said, don't lay your hand on the boy. Now I know that you truly trust me. And God promoted Abraham, I think, personally more than anybody in the whole Bible. Maybe Solomon was pretty close, but God just promoted him over and over again. Here's what I'm trying to say. When our wants are stealing our peace, that's a sign we're holding on too tight. How do you know if you're not trusting God? Do you have peace or not? How do you know if you're not trusting God? Are you living frustrated trying to manipulate things to get what you want? It's time that you put that that dream on the altar, put that 130-pound body that you had not had since a senior in high school, put it on the altar... You're doing everything you can. Do what you can. If it's not happening, give it to God. Put that healing on the altar. Put that promotion, the financial, whatever it is. Just give it to God and let him handle it. 2 Peter 3.9 says that God is extraordinarily patient toward you. He does not will that anyone perish, but he wills that everyone comes to repentance. I had a friend that called me a few weeks ago just crying and upset because there's a family member that's not saved. And I said, are you praying? Yeah, I'm praying. Are you witnessing? Yeah, I'm witnessing. That's all you can do. You just pray. God is so much better. God wants your family member to be saved more than you want your family member to be saved. He wants it way more than you do. There's a true story about this, this young man. He spent all of his childhood and teenage years trying to get his father to come to church with he and his mom, but his dad wanted nothing to do with God. He gets older, moves out the house. On September the 11th, He decided to go up to New York to visit his dad. On the way to the airport, he got a flat tire and he missed his flight. It just so happened that flight was one of the ones that did not make it on September 11th. If he hadn't got a flat tire, he wouldn't be alive today. He was so relieved. He was so thankful God spared his life. His dad called him from New York so frantic and worried, knowing he was supposed to be on that flight, and the son gave him the good news. He missed the flight. The whole family was grateful. The father was a retired fireman. He told his son, he said, I can't stay home and do nothing. I have to go down to the site and help rescue people. That was the last conversation he and his son ever had. The father was killed later that day when the towers collapsed. The next morning when the son got the bad news, the joy of having his own life spared was turned into sorrow, turned into frustration. He was confused. His father never wanted anything to do with God, and now it seemed like it was too late. Three and a half months went by, and there was a knock on the door at that young man's house. It was this young couple with a very, very small baby. They said, we're from New York, and are you so-and-so? He said, I am. They said, it was your dad, so-and-so? He said, yeah, he, he was. They said, can we come inside and tell you a story? The girl holding the baby explained that she was in the World Trade Center on the day of the attack. She was seven months pregnant, And she said, your father came up to the room where we were trapped, and he rescued me and carried me, seven months pregnant, carried me down several flights of stairs. She said, on the way down, I was screaming and praying to Jesus, Lord, save us. She said, your dad told how God spared your life from being on that flight that day. She said, by the time we got down to the bottom of the stairway, we both got on our knees for about ten seconds. And your father asked Jesus to come into his heart. She said, we've come all this distance, not just to thank you face to face, not just to give you the good news. We wanted to introduce you to our little son. We named him after your father. Listen, God has a way. Do you know, how could Abraham hold up a knife to sacrifice the thing he wanted more than anything? To sacrifice his son? It's because Hebrews 11:19 says he believed That God could raise him from the dead. In other words, he knew the character of God so much. That God was so powerful. God promised me this would happen. Even if I have to kill him, God will bring him back to life if he has to. Do you know the very essence of salvation, the very foundation of salvation, is surrendering your will to Jesus? Is surrendering what you want? Uh, Matthew 16: 24 says, if anyone, look how inclusive that is, anyone wants to come with me, let him deny himself his own interests, take up his cross and follow me. In other words, God says, you give me everything you want, and here's what the reward is. We get everything God wants us to have, starting with heaven. That's a pretty good deal if you don't know. Point number two for your notes, trust God's ways. You have to trust that the way God does things, is better than the way we do things. Uh, there were, uh, Isaiah 55 8 says my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. My ways are higher and better than your ways. There were these three Hebrew teenagers in the Old Testament uh, named my shack, your shack, and a bungalow and um, they lived in this area where this king that was in charge of everything the king demanded that everybody bow down to this golden idol now as a side note an idol is something that you want more than you want God that's an idol anything that you desire more than you desire God and so they said we're not going to bow down to your idol the king said well I'm going to light up the furnace seven times hotter than normal I'm going to tie you up and throw you in here to burn alive if you don't bow down to the idol the three teenagers have teenagers said in Daniel 3.17, the God we serve can heal us. The God we serve can save us. The God we serve can make our dreams come true. But even if He doesn't do it, we will still not worship your stand. Even, let me ask you, will you be faithful and keep serving even if it doesn't happen your way? Will you stay on track? Will you do your best? Even if it doesn't take place the way you want it to, how you want it to, and when you want it to, will you still stay faithful? I heard somebody say, hold tightly to what God put in your heart, but hold loosely to how it's going to happen. So these teenagers, they, they bound them up, they threw them in the fire, And King Nebuchadnezzar, he looked in there a little bit longer, and he thought he'd see them all dead, you know, burned alive. He said this, didn't we throw three men in there bound? I see four men loose, and one of them looks like the Son of God. Jesus showed up. Here's the, verse 27 says this, their clothes were not burned, their hair was not singed, they didn't even smell like smoke. That's actually a miracle, the fact they didn't. You ever walk by a campfire, and your clothes reek the whole night long? They didn't even smell like smoke. Now listen, one thing burned in that fire. There was something that burned in the fire. Do you know what it was? It was the ropes that had them bound. Nothing else burned but the thing that had them bound. Most likely every area of your life in which you are still in control is an area where the enemy has you bound. And when you're willing to trust God, life or death, and the, and the, and the chains are loosed, You'll see promotion. It says in verse 30, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were promoted. Every area we relinquish control to God is an area that he brings promotion. So this past week, um, we finally got the phone call that we've been waiting on for a year and a half concerning our new property. We already have a contract saying we can buy the nine acres. We're the first up for it for the price we want we already have people bidding and wanting this place you know for the price that we've set even you know higher than what we we said we sell it for everything's going to be working out but for a year and a half we've been drawing up plans and getting things ready because there needs to be a merge lane and the merge lane and the pump station all that's about three to four million dollar project that we're not going to pay for and so we've been getting all the drawings lined up so that Beezer this big home builder in the back Uh, They've been working out a deal with the owners, and Beezer's supposed to buy it, and then Beezer's going to pay for all of it. So that's what we've been hoping for. That's the goal of everything. All the plans are drawn. Everything's done. They went out to bid. They came back. Finally, after a year and a half of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of man hours put into this project, the executive here in town of Beezer got everything, got all the notes, met with his people, and they called us back and said, we are completely not in it, and we're not going to do it. Now, I have a specialty uh, in life. I'm, there's something I'm really good at. I don't know if y'all know. I'm actually a very special person. And, um, and that wasn't the joke. And there are some things that I, there's, there's a thing that I can do that not many men can do. I'm, a very, I'm one of the very few men on earth that can do this. I won't call it a gift because I don't think it's from God. But it's very unique talent. I am the man that steps up. When God is frustrated and doesn't know what to do. So when God is confused and he, you know, something happened he didn't expect to happen. And God is just like, oh, what do I do? That's when I step in. And I have a process to how I handle this. The first step is I let my emotions completely take control of me. And I get incredibly angry or incredibly discouraged. So I did that when I got the phone call. My second step is I try to manipulate every single thing I can and move the pieces I want them to go. Sometimes that requires lying, sometimes a little bit of cheating, sometimes cutting a corner, but hey, I'm doing it for God, so it's okay. (laughs) Finally, my third step is I try to come up with options that God has not thought of. So when I got to step three, I started calling around other properties near that property, Burris and Chapin, who's selling this? How much can we get this for? Maybe somebody will sell this building. We can tear this down and da-da-da. And all these other things came about. Then, because I'm a pastor, step four, I thought, I should pray. (laughs) Do you know control freaks are usually the last to pray? People that believe God's got it, they're the first to pray. I'm learning. I prayed. I thought, okay, God, I can't figure it out. There's nothing I can do. I'm going to just give it to you. The next morning, I got a text from Dave Potter, and he said, John Paul, this is unheard of. We've never heard of this. The executives of the executives that don't even live in the state saw the paperwork and saw everything come through and called back the Beezer guy here in town and says, no, 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 no. We want to make it work. You need to do whatever it takes for us to get that property and make it work. All I could think about was the scripture in Psalm 2-4 that says, God sits in the heavens and laughs. (laughs) That is so funny. I bet God was like, oh, John Paul's doing it again. (laughs) Wait till he gets that call the next day and he sees that I'm in control the entire time. Now, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, how it's going to work, if, but I do know this. God will always find a way to do what he said he would do. He'll find a way. 2 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your cares, your anxieties, your worries, your concerns once and for all. uh, That's the hardest part. On him, for he cares about you and watches over you very carefully. It doesn't say cast your responsibility. It says cast your cares. You do everything you can do with integrity and then completely trust God to do what we can't do. Understand? Okay, point number three is this. Trust God's word his word honestly i think this is the easiest point of the three i am a am a studier of the word my relationship everybody's relationship with god is different you know i can walk on the beach and talk to god and hear from god and all that great stuff but 90 percent of my relationship with him is based on the word and here's why i need it in black and white with a little bit of red but you know when you open up the bible you don't have to question if god said it it's in the bible it's in the Bible. And, there, and it says in Psalms 18:30, the word of the Lord is perfect, and you can prove it. You can actually prove that it's true. He will shield all those that trust in him. So there's areas of our life that we forget it's in the Bible. So we just we just go to the Bible and it'll work. Okay. If you have any enemies in your life, tons of stuff on enemies. Proverbs 16:7 says, When you please the Lord, he'll make your enemies be at peace with you. In other words, stop focusing on the enemy. Start focusing on how you can please the Lord more, he'll take care of the enemy. Amen. money's in the Bible, 1870 something scriptures in the Bible on money, they all say the same four things, tithe, give, work hard, and use wisdom, Malachi 3.10, bring the full tithe in the storehouse, and he'll open up the windows of heaven, pour out on you a blessing, on and on, he it goes, it's in the Bible, in other words, if you do this, and it's not working out, now again, God's in charge of the timetable, but when you do this, if it doesn't work, you got to let me know, so I can quit my job, Because everything in my life is based on the Word of God being completely true. Somebody's hurt you or done something against you. Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go to him privately. Not to three people because that will ruin the relationship. You go privately. If he listens, you win him back and you're back in a relationship. This actually happened to me this past week. I actually did a guy wrong. I hurt someone a few weeks ago. It was my fault. And he went to five different people. He said none of them told him anything in the Bible. He said, finally, I didn't know what to do, so I I researched myself. He said, do you know what's in Matthew 18? I said, yes, I do. He said, it says to come to you privately, one-on-one. He came to me over to my house. It worked out. We're back in relationship. Everything's fine. Why? Because it's in the Bible. Like, this is why we're here, right? Because it's in the Bible. You got troublemakers in your life. Proverbs 22.10 says, kick them out and the strife will stop you got a circle of friends. There's always one causing trouble with everybody else. It's okay not to answer the phone. It's okay. Um, Your children, if if, if they're not giving you rest in your soul and delight in your heart, Proverbs 29, 17 says they need more discipline. All the children were like, that's not the one point we wanted to have today. (laughs) Number 23, 19 says God's not going to lie. It's in his word. He's not going to lie. It's in his word. Back in the 50s, I think it was, maybe around uh, sometime mid-50s, my nana's brother-in-law. Now, my nana is my last grandparent alive. She's 95 years old. She's my favorite grandparent, took care of me all growing up. And uh, her brother-in-law, uh, he, he was real sick and getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And, and he and his wife, my nana's sister, they weren't believers, but their mom was, my great-grandma. And, of course, my nana is. Anyway, he was sick, sick, sick. Finally, his daughter, even getting worse and worse. They said, you have cancer all through your whole body. And they didn't give him weeks to live. They gave him days to live and sent him home. So my nana's sister is, of course, in tears and crying. Her husband's dying on his deathbed at home. Nothing they can do. So she decides on her, this is like, what else do we do? So my nana's, their mom, my great grandma. Bought them one of those Remember those big family Bibles that people would just sit in their living room to make other people think they were Republicans. Remember that, the big old Bibles? (laughs) And they just dust it off every now and then when somebody's coming over. Oh, you know, who cares about vacuuming the house? Dust off the Bible so they think we've opened it, you know. And so she thought, well, this is my last resort. I might as well, it says holy on the front. It says holy Bible. Mama's always talking about it. I'll, I'll open it up soon. Out of all the places she could open, and they didn't know nothing, She opens up to James chapter 5. She starts reading, and in verse 14 it says, If anyone is sick, physically, mentally, emotionally, soul, body, if you're sick, it's easy. Call the elders of the church to pray, which is the first thing an elder should do when they're called upon. And here's what will happen. The Lord will heal them. If they sin, they'll be forgiven. What an incredible Gift and responsibility given to certain people. So they didn't know anything. So they called their mama, my great-grandma, and said, Mama, my husband's dying, and we read that book you gave us, and it says church, do you know what a church elder is? She said, of course I know what a church elder is. Can, Can you tell them to come pray? Okay. They called the church elders, little country church. They come to the house. They do it old school style. They get on their knees. They hold hands. They pray for five minutes. They get up and walk out. Do you know my non nas brother brother-in-law, not only was he completely and totally healed of cancer throughout his whole body, but he outlived his wife and he died of old age. Do you know why? Because it's in the Bible! (laughs) It's in the Bible! God said it! They had the childlike faith to believe it! God chose to do it that day. He could have done it differently. He could have done it by letting them go to heaven after he got saved. That's an ultimate healing. But he chose to do it that way. Um... I kind of want to close with this. Um, there was this mountain climber who was climbing up the side of a mountain, huge cliff, and he's almost to the top and all of a sudden he, he loses his footing and he starts to fall down the mountain. He's sliding and he grabs a hold miraculously of this bush hanging out the side of the mountain and he's dangling hundreds of feet above the ground and so he, he screams out at the top of the mountain, is there anybody up there? The, the, the clouds parted And the voice of God boomed down from the sky and said, Yes, son, I'm here. What do you need? He said, I'm falling. I need you to help me. God said, Okay, son, just let go of the bush, trust me, and I'll catch you. After several minutes, the guy kind of screamed back up, Is there anybody else up there? As long as we can figure it out and we can see the future, we'll trust. But it's when we don't know how it's going to turn out. We have to believe that God has our best interest at heart. Um, the reason that control freaks like to be in control, one of the main reasons, is something called the fear of abandonment. The enemy could have put a seed inside of you when you were young and it's grown into a root in this area if, if you lived in a household growing up in which there was a lot of abuse mental, physical, sexual abuse and you feel abandoned or uh, your parent died when you were young or they just walked out on your family and left and that seed and root of abandonment entered into your heart or you have a spouse that just walked out on you for no reason just left you high and dry fear of abandonment or finally if your parents did not discipline you when you were younger you thought oh that's so cool my parents don't care about me I can do whatever I want to then when you get older, you think, that's so sad, my parents didn't care about me. I could do whatever I wanted to. And so this, this, this root, this fear of abandonment comes in. So what we do is, we want to control the people around us, and we want to make sure that we're in charge of when they leave us. So what we'll do is, we'll um, sometimes subconsciously do things to cause them to leave intentionally, so that um, we know that. They're leaving because of us. We we set it in time because we fear in 20 years they might leave us. Or in 10 years. And we do that with friendships. We do that with all of our relationships when we have this problem. We want to make sure we're in charge of when they come, when we go, because we're just so scared of being abandoned. Um God conquers this fear. In Hebrews 13, 5, it says, He himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, nor will I let you down, nor will I. Abandon you. Amen. Praise the Lord, amen. Um, I've read this scripture thousands, probably a thousand times. For the first time this week, I saw the beginning of it. Says He Himself has said. In other words, He already said it. He didn't say it here in Hebrews thirteen five. I mean, He did, but He said it before that. They're quoting when God already said it. So I said, Well, God, when did you say this? And I began researching, and He said it um, around the time of Joshua. Moses, Caleb, these are are men's men, not afraid of anything, going after giants. But on the inside, they were having pain when the people close to them were leaving or doing things that that upset them and they didn't know how to handle it. And they put all their trust in people rather than God. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6 and Joshua 1 5, God said, don't be afraid of people. I will be with you. I will not fail you or abandon you. This was also said uh, whenever Joshua was succeeding Moses. Moses was everything to him. Moses trained him, encouraged him, loved him. And now Moses is dying and Joshua's thinking, how am I going to be able to go forward without Moses? And God says, listen, I'll be with you. I'll never abandon you. A few weeks ago, one of our elders uh, passed away, Ron Kaufman. Ron was an incredible man of integrity. Ron loved me no matter what. He was truthful. He was honest. He never had an agenda as an elder. He never wanted influence with people. He never tried to climb a ladder. He only came here to serve Jesus because he loved me and loved the church. I can't tell you the feeling of confidence I could have going into an elders meeting knowing that Ron Kaufman was there. Knowing that somebody always had my back. Knowing if there was a problem, he'd come right to me. You know, Ron and Mary Jane, they took their personal money at one point and loaned it to me so that I could buy into a business so that I could have a retirement one day because the church provides no retirement. They did that with their personal money. This was a man of integrity. This is a man of great godly character. And he died, and I felt abandoned. He treated me like a son. He believed in me. Do you know what it's like to have somebody like that in your life? You'll relinquish control of everything to somebody like that. The word abandon means to give up and never claim right. To give up control. Listen, the root problem with failure to relinquish control to God is the fear of abandonment. Do You know what the answer and solution is? To abandon yourself. To abandon yourself in Psalms 40 verse 3 David said I waited for God he heard my cry he put me up on a solid rock he taught me how to sing people see this when they abandon themselves to God see in the, in the original language Greek and Hebrew anytime you see the word abandoned most times it's referring to worshiping God You know, that's what worship is. We come in here and we abandon ourselves. We don't care what people think about us. We'll lift our hands. We don't care if they hear us singing off key. We sing it to God. It's not about people. We abandon ourselves and give it to God. here's Here's what we do. We come in this place in control and we leave in control. We go to our Jesus time in control and we walk away and we're still in control. You can know God without ever abandoning yourself to him. So David had a son named Absalom. This is somebody that David should trust, love. There should be a relationship. And his close his son decided to start a coup and mutiny and started doing things behind David's back and trying to overthrow him. So David leaves the kingdom, the place where God called him. He walks away. Uh, David's friend Zadok is the high priest. And he says, whoa, David, I got the Ark of the Covenant. Don't you want this with you? Because whoever has the Ark is going to be blessed. And David said this, you know what, it's about the people, it's not about me. Leave the ark with the people. 2 Samuel 15, 25 says, take the ark back to the city. If the Lord wants me there, here's what he'll do. He'll bring me back. This is the best line in the Bible, ready? Let God do to me whatever seems good to him. When that happened with David's closest confidant, when that happened, that's when David wrote Psalm 40. The answer is, I'm just going to abandon myself to God. I'm not here today to tell you to abandon your dreams or abandon your wants or abandon the promise or abandon the healing. I'm saying abandon having to have it your way, right away, in your timing, how you see fit. Surrender it to God. Put it on the altar. Psalm 3115, Lord, I trust you. My life is in your hands. Amen. 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 Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Is there an area of your life today that you are still in control? You're still trying to make it happen the way you want. You're still trying to figure things out because you think God is stumped. Trying to control the people you're in a relationship with. Kind of trying to control the outcome of your life. And listen, again, don't get rid of your responsibility. Get rid of the attitude. Get rid of the fear. Get rid of the anxiety. God is way better (laughs) at getting things done than we are. If you're here today and there's an area of your life that you need to relinquish control over, can you just lift your hands so I can pray for you real quick? Hands up, just 30 seconds. Lord, Lord. The healing, the addiction, the problem, the frustration, the promise, whatever it is. Whatever it is. God, we give it to you. As difficult as it may be, as scared to death as we are. The fear that it may never happen. The worry. The concerns. God, we give it all to you help us have the strength to leave it in your hands and to not pick it up when we leave here, not pick it up tomorrow when we wake up, but just to trust that you are in control and that you have our best interest at heart. And Lord, if we can surrender our life to you and believe for heaven, then we can surrender our dreams, we can surrender our wants, our desires, the timing, all of it, God, we just give to you because you are so much gooder than we are about taking care of us Lord I I I ask that by the Holy Spirit power, you rip out every root of the fear of abandonment in this place Lord every root that would cause people to fear other people and what they do say walking out all that stuff God, give us the strength to believe that we are in the palm of your hands. You'll never leave us, nor forsake us, nor abandon us. That you're watching us very, very closely, that every detail of our life is seen and acknowledged by you. Teach us to pray first and worry last. <laughs> Teach us to pray first and go to work second. Thank you for doing what only you can do in this place. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 Let's stand to our feet.